welcome back all you retro and classic gamers to what is the penultimate episode of the most important tournament in the world happening right now. And that is the King of Games 1992. This is Ozzy Garcia, formerly of the Region Free Gamers podcast, and I will be your host for this fine episode. It has been a long road to get to this point, with champions being taken down and underdogs rising up to meet the moment. But we are not worried about that today, because on this very special episode, we will not be taking a look at any of the games that made it into the tournament. Instead, we're going to be taking a look at those titles that didn't make the cut. The also-rans, the lovable losers, or how we like to phrase it, the honorable mentions. These are games that were released in 1992 and were up for consideration but just did not garner enough votes to make it into the tournament. Now, you can argue as to whether some of these games actually deserve to be here instead of other titles that did end up making it in, but the process for selecting the games was highly scientific and therefore inscrutable. Since these games are not actually competing for anything, for the most part, we won't really be taking into account our usual criteria. Instead, we're just going to be chatting about these games, why we like them, what they brought to the table, and why they deserve to be mentioned. Who knows, perhaps you will find a new favorite you didn't know existed. But it would be very lonesome, and actually quite boring, if it was just me talking. So I have got two other co-hosts here on this virtual roundtable, so it will be a very cozy episode. Well, who might this other co-host be? Well, five hours up the I-95 north from me is none other than the master of alliteration that is Chris Copleen. Chris. Shit, you put me on the spot. I don't have any alliteration ready for this, so... (laughs) You had to be. (laughs) Think fast, think quick. (laughs) Uh... The man making messes. Mighty. Ozzy's Ozzy's altruism always obliterates. I can't think of another one. But there it is. You tried. You tried. And like this episode, we're just talking about those that tried but didn't make it. So, um, And uh, really excited because over in Europe is my former co-host who is now not welcome in the United States after the Netherlands took down Team USA in the World Cup. It's Jeff Ivets, formerly of the Region Free Gamers podcast. Yeah, formerly, formerly like the artist formerly known as. Yes, yes. Now we're now we're all expatriates. Now we're all exiles. Uh, We don't have a home except whenever the retro hangover decides to bring us in and give us shelter. Exactly. Um, I feel I feel like one of those ex pros that gets asked along every four years to a a World Cup to to talk about to talk about you know games that you're no longer allowed to be part of. So that kind yeah, of, now, uh, now now we get to participate in like the seniors tournaments, like yeah, you yeah, know, like, like the legends games. You know, not that we were ever legends, but uh, you know, whatever the hell that is. But no, Jeff, g- glad to have you. It's it's actually you know, I we were supposed to have this episode with uh, with Keith uh, Gasper from the Main Quest episode, uh, uh, Main Quest podcast, and uh, Kate Call from uh, the Gaming Memories podcast. But um, you know, things happen, and now it's a uh, it's a much cozier episode than we expected it to be but hey i wouldn't have it any other way i like you too you guys are p- good peeps so you know i'm Phew. glad that we're, that we're talking um at least i don't I think know if i can bring the peeps. same energy Cade can though i'll do my best i'll do my best well just increase increase the chaos by several by several degrees and maybe maybe you get to a quarter of, <laughs> of his chaos um, so here's how we're going to do it. Uh, each one of us will be able to select three games that we will talk about, and we're going to rotate selections until all nine games are spoken for. So that's going to be a lot of games to get through, so let us not delay further and get the party started. So, Jeff, I'm Ooh. going to start with you. What is your first selection? What game did you want to see in this tournament that did not make it or that you want to talk about on this very episode? 
Yeah, yeah. Um, before before I before I, I I say which one that is, I think when I was looking through the list uh, that we put together, um, the ones that, that made the short list and the ones that obviously ended up being in the tournament itself, um, I actually found it quite hard to argue with majority. There's always one or two that I like. I strongly disagree with. I can think of previous tournaments where. Um, I I just couldn't believe certain certain titles didn't make it. But when Spill I went the beans, the... Jeff. Which one? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I think I think me and Chris have spoken at length about the Shenmue um, and what. So it's... But um, that, I think that deserved it. Deserved it. Deserved yeah. to be there. I nah, so. nah. Um, <laughs> but on this this time, it, like the three that I've picked, um, I can see reasons why. When I kind of like go through the, the old criteria in my head, I can see why that they wouldn't have made it, or why people wouldn't have selected it. But um, the first one is, and I'm going to put put my British or my English uh, jersey on now, um, and I'm going to bring up a very typical game. I'm going to bring up Sensible Soccer from the, what well, was originally the Amiga? I think it came out on the Amiga first. Um, yeah. Made it to all the consoles, even a Game Boy version um, in, yeah. its, in its lifetime. Um, by Sensible Software UK team. Um, it's basically a cult game from from, from my generation. Um when it gets when you ask most British people or even European as I guess top three Europe top three soccer slash football games of my generation, sensible world of soccer or sensible whatever version it is, sensible soccer's on it. Um yeah. it's we just used to call it sensi soccer, right? I mean sensi, yeah. We always yeah, have to give sensi, it like a nickname. <laughs> yeah. Um yeah. it was one of those games that everyone had uh you know, on your PC or on your mate's Amiga or even on your snares, everyone had it um highly uh, customizable uh you could always get lots of bootleg versions um at car boot sales or on your like amiga magazine like the, the discs that we would get on those amiga magazines so it had a lot of replayability what is essentially a super simple sports game um but I, I, us over here in europe we love soccer uh in any way shape or form so oh i didn't know no you wouldn't <laughs> have guessed you wouldn't have guessed. <laughs> But it's uh, sensible soccer is just a, a cult game from start to finish. Well, I mean, and uh, it, it was the sensation. It was the FIFA before FIFA. FIFA wasn't even really a glint in EA's eye at, at that point. Um, yep. I, I think FIFA came out. I think the first one came out ninety four. Ninety four, I think, was the first one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So there, there really wasn't like that hallmark. Or powerhouse soccer game at, at the time and and sensi was kind of that that game and but it also shows like the stark divide between kind of the us and and, and europe which is that you guys really were more home computer um yeah. focused and and that's more, more than likely the reason why it never gained traction here in the west and 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 uh in this side of the of the hemisphere um but but i do know of it because from everything I hear, it was a huge, huge sensation. Um, and everyone knew about it and everyone played it from, like, you know, people that would not traditionally be into games. They they were into it. Exactly. No, at I, least based on my understanding. Yeah, from, I mean, I did a little bit of research on it just, just to see if there's any little, as I said, like bits of um, uh, that would kind of go into the categorization that we would do, especially around, like, the legacy part. It sold over 2 million copies, I think, like, as That's a total franchise. Yeah, I think so. Um, obviously, it doesn't beat your Final Fantasy that sell like ten million in Japan alone, sort of, uh, <laughs> yeah. sort of thing. 
but it's still like when you think about how much bootlegging and how much just like i yeah. never i never bought a copy but i had a copy like multiple times <laughs> um so it's it's quite an it's quite a feat for a home computer game so i i have to ask some questions here this this game i don't think ever came out in the u.s did it or canada it, it may have come out on ms dos at some point More um likely, and yeah. so this is where we're showing that we are totally big professionals here well um, the the reason the reason i ask is it's called sensible soccer i thought like the only places that called it soccer was the u.s and australia <laughs> it, it just it just sounds i mean the like we even had um on our sky sports channel which is your your big satellite cable channel uh even, yeah. even today it's still around but they had uh, a show i loved called soccer saturday and it was the most english british thing you could ever watch when it comes to our humor and and, our, and and the sport that we love but we, we called it soccer saturday you know soccer am soccer saturday like it just sounds more the alliteration like, it, yeah it's exactly <laughs> it sounds more hollywood doesn't it as well i think it's uh, yeah. yeah yeah but so don't worry we we use both it says it came out on DOS, it came out on the Atari ST, I mean, certainly it came out on Game Boy, it, it came Everything. out on the Master System, but I, I just, I don't see anywhere here whether it actually released in in, you know, in the US, in North America. I, um, I mean, I can't imagine there being much of a market at the time. I mean, USA 94 kind of probably helped some sales of FIFA and what have you, but I'm not sure if it yeah. in 92. Yeah. No, like we we really didn't care about soccer in the United States in in '92, like even less than we do now, and that's quite impressive. I think yeah, 90, we're only 90, marginally yeah. better, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> I think well, we've been we trying. The, did we have the World Cup in the United States in '94? Was that it, or was it? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. '94. It was yeah, a great yeah. tournament. It just, yeah. You, yeah, you guys just didn't watch it. <laughs> no, we didn't watch it. It was here. We just you know. <laughs> well, I mean, that, that was supposed to be the moment that soccer turned a corner here in the united states and and every single world cup it's been the same thing this is the moment this is the moment where we turned a corner and it becomes a staple of u.s households but it's never quite happened maybe if they package insensible soccer with every ticket maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe for, for the amiga they actually have to package it for, for the amiga <laughs> they would package an amiga too because <laughs> <laughs> they would have to have heard of that year in the states well, you know, in terms of legacy, I mean, Jeff, I mean, you could possibly argue that this was this kind of sensation um, and keeping on with the alliteration team uh, theme may have been the reason why EA was compelled to create something like FIFA. You know, maybe it also was the, the 1994 World Cup and all that, but, but I could see the lineage being that, hey, sensible soccer, FIFA next. That's that's kind of like the the trajectory that I could see. Yeah, here. I mean, not to go too much into the politics of, of FIFA itself. There's a Netflix <clears throat> Netflix documentary that is well worth watching if if you guys get it in the US. But FIFA are just were just constantly whoring themselves out to anyone that would buy into the license. And I think EA, uh, yeah, I think EA knew that there was money in football games, in soccer games, and if you got FIFA, it like completely legitimizes whatever product you have. Uh, FIFA have such a powerful brand Im- like brand image and in the 80s and 90s they were just getting anyone and everyone on board who was who was basically paying you know giving money under the table to them and I can well imagine because EA have had FIFA I mean they've only just lot they've only just separated right yeah. like yeah um it is it, one of the one of the great things about about FIFA um currently is that you see 
uh, Adidas and you see McDonald, um, Coca-Cola are like current sponsors of the World Cup. They've been sponsoring the World Cup since the very, very beginning that sponsorships took place. So FIFA, like once you're once you're around the table with them, like yeah. there's like a there's you like stay. A, you stay. So I think EA were very smart to get in there and and they they produced a pretty good game. Um, I always prefer like the the top down. In case of any listeners have never played Sensible Soccer, it's essentially a, a completely top down bird's eye view. Um, of a football pitch from top to bottom you've got the two goals north to south so it's not isometric it's not side to side like you get in fifa now um the ball is for, for the time like those sort of games were the ball would stick to the feet of the players uh, whereas now that the ball is a bit more of a loose object it was far more like you could lose control if a certain player doesn't have good control stats and it would be it felt a bit more fit felt, felt a bit more organic um but it was just incredibly hard to score goals in just like you know and it was like you you would win games 1-0 2-1 which is like the sort of score lines that Americans hate um yeah. but you know like it, it it just felt very it was just super addictive because it was really easy to get into the games and you you know you you would play as England or America you wouldn't you weren't worrying too much about like uh, which specific country you were or team you were you just it was like one joystick one button pretty simple and off you go yeah, everything you're telling me sounds a lot like Bill Lambeer's combat basketball, Jeff. So I, I, I don't know if uh, there was some kind of shared affinity there. Did did uh, either, a question? Did either of you two play um, cannon fodder? Because that was their neck. That was like their rather big, big game. Sensible, sensible software. Was that, no, was that, was no. that another European thing? Cannon fodder. Yeah, that was another European thing. Yeah. yeah okay, yeah, that, yeah. that's well yeah. worth checking out. I reckon, I reckon you. Could that's probably... also on the Amiga as well. Yeah, that's yeah. also on the Amiga. Yeah. yeah. Another top um, down. Let... It was very, very fun. Real quick, uh, were there any kind of team licenses or player likenesses, or was it just kind of like, oh, you're playing England and uh, you kind of make up your own uh, yeah, characters? No, they, and they stuff. had like the official names. Uh, I think back then it didn't matter at all. Like a bit like Championship Manager, um, which was in. Another... So you could play as Arsenal, for example. You could be Arsenal and you'd have yeah. players that I could reel off all the players that you wouldn't know, but like they were the players. Um, like like the likenesses, you're talking about such tiny sprites. You, you never you never know. FIFA were the ones who brought in like. <laughs> player likenesses well if that's uh if that's all uh chris any parting thoughts on uh, sensible soccer or are you ready to move on i think we're ready to move on i think that's the sensible thing to do hmm. all right well hmm. you know that that seems sensible to me so chris what do you have as the first selection oh unlike uh unlike jeff i actually think the this pick that i'm about to make here should have been in the tournament over some other ones i'm actually quite shocked this one didn't make it i Especially because I, I do think we have an older crowd, and this was a game I think is, is pretty universally well known. I know it's more of a, you know, kind of going with Jeff here, a a more a more European sport, a more international sport. Definitely not an American sport, but uh, F1 racing, of course, being that sport. And the game I'm picking here is Virtual Racing for the arcade that came out on August 20th, 1992 in Japan and October 1992 worldwide. Uh, and I, I can understand why people would not probably look back on it fondly. It was, you know, very basic looking, but you're talking about, you know, at least when it came out on the Sega Genesis with that, uh, with that chip, the custom chip that it had with it, that, that was the biggest hype because this was the first time a lot of people were able to see polygons, especially in the arcade. And it wasn't the first like 3d arcade game 
I think that's pretty well established because you had hard driving back in the 80s. But this was the first time it was everything came together and it was somewhat enjoyable. And you had arcade cabinets that had like uh, like airbags that would that would like simulate driving in a car and it was very interactive and you would have other sets that you could like the the standard twin set was something you could compete against another person on and have a competitive play. So this was really like the precursor to Daytona USA. I really think a lot of people would have been on board with this game, especially as much as it moved the industry forward, but it, it just didn't make it. Even though I can admit myself, I've never been a big virtual racing fan, but I, it's just one of those games that I feel that was important enough that it probably should have made it in over a Final Fantasy Mystic Quest. But yeah. Uh, I, I, yeah, it's 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 a landmark title, especially for the year 1992. I think there are several reasons why it probably wouldn't didn't make it. I mean, one of the reasons is I think that people had forgotten how different racing games used to be before mm-hmm. virtual racing came about. I mean, before that, it was the super scalar sprites that Sega itself, I mean, revolutionized. I mean, it was really AM2, Yu Suzuki's team, that, that were the masters of that type of super scaling uh, racing games. But, you know, to have a, a game in full 3D with that smoothness, with those frames per second that actually mm-hmm. felt like you had that sense of speed, really, virtual racing was the first one. I mean, because you had hard driving, but hard driving really didn't feel good. It wasn't really yeah, it a, a racing game. It was more of a yeah. driving game. So I, I think that that is, I think, the biggest reason why, um, why people just don't see virtual racing anymore, because then people assume that racing games have always been like this you know there there are there's Daytona like usa there's gran turismo there's all that um sega rally but it's like virtual racing was the first one to do it like this and do it well and i think the second reason is because they're really i mean the the 32x had if i recall correctly the definitive version of virtual racing but it still wasn't a arcade perfect version and no. it still wasn't, you know, mm-hmm. as impressive as, as the arcade. And so I don't think that people have as fond of a memory of the version on the home consoles, you know, because it just didn't replicate the arcade experience. And, you know, I, I, I agree with you, Chris. I mean, like every other Suzuki joint, I mean, the arcade machine was an experience. I mean, the whole game was an experience. It's like it, it was an all-encompassing thing. It really wanted to put you in the cockpit. And, you know, I, I've never seen an actual machine in the in the flesh. I've, I've actually never seen one out in the arcade. So maybe that's another reason why people just don't remember it as fondly yeah. because, you know, maybe they, they don't, they haven't seen many of them. So, yeah. yeah. So I don't know, Jeff, I don't know if over in Europe it was any different. Well, I mean, I, I just taken a look at some, some photos again of the arcade cabinet and yeah, I remember that. I remember that one. And I remember obviously Daytona USA in the, in the arcades. Like back in those days, you know, you had to you had to stand out. Um, but also you knew as soon as you saw a Sega logo on a on an arcade cabinet, you knew you were gonna get a good game. I think like you're saying, like, you know, this this sort of Formula One style racing is has always been really popular over in Europe. Like Japan had a Formula One Grand Prix for a long time as well. Um, so it's a, it's I'm not surprised that Sega would kind of jump into it. Um one of those things where I remember very well on our on ms-dos at home we had formula one titles and but they were just yeah, yeah. they were awful um <laughs> I, I didn't know how else to say like even even like 
like Top Gear on the on the on the snares was a was far more enjoyable than the games that me and my brother had to put up with. So when we actually saw these games in the arcade, like it absolutely blew us away. I think to the point of what you know maybe not being remembered. I think that's that seems to be in my in my view anyway. It seems to be quite a, a common thing that happens to arcade games um, these days yeah. because we're so console yeah. focused. You forget what it's like to get three other mates like on the same machine duking it out or racing it out whatever you want to do and even though you would all put your money in and it would last a minute that that was so much more fun like being out and about and doing that than it would be sat at home on your own playing playing a game sometimes so i think that whole communal experience and everything that goes to that plays a big part um in these sort of experiences and i think that's that's why when you're kind of staring at it from a very cold perspective of at home on a console I can see why these these games get get long forgotten. It did, it did get a re-release on the Switch, right? Sega brought it out. Sega Ages, yeah, yeah. It, it came out. It was a part of the. It was one of the last Sega Ages uh, ports that M2 put out, which it. is yeah. you know the whole lineup is terrific. I mean, they had M2 just did a terrific job with those Sega Ages releases, and uh, yeah. I think it was the first time that you had an arcade perfect release at home of virtual racing of the arcade game um which is why it was so important but but again i mean much like everything else it it also fell by the wayside i don't think it did very well at all and sega ages of course now that whole lineup has been killed by sega so we're not gonna see any more any more of that but but you know i mean the other thing is that this came out in 92 really at, at at the home level we wouldn't see something comparable up until late 1994 when Ridge Racer came out on the PS1. There just wasn't anything else like that. And even that, Ridge Racer, like, it still didn't have as impressive a look as you had with Virtual Racing. I mean, Virtual Racing is a little bit flatter. You know, the polygons yeah. are a little bit more, you know, the garage shading and, and all that. Ridge Racer looks a little bit more complex in terms of its shading and all that. But it was like 30 frames per second. And I think virtual racing was like 60 frames per second, like something like really, really impressive when you looked at it. So, so all to say that I, 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 I can see why it wasn't picked, but I agree with you, Chris. I think that it's a very impressive game and it merited mention yeah. um, on this particular tournament. So you would say you would take out mystic quest and insert I, this. Uh, I, I definitely would. I, I almost think that mystic quest was in there for more of a meme reason. And I get it. Uh, <laughs> I, it's, it's, I don't know. I, I know a lot of people have fond memories of Mystic Quest. So if you love Mystic Quest and you think it should be in there, I'm, I'm shitting all over it. And I think it shouldn't have been in there, even though, yeah, I do have fond memories of Mystic Quest too. But when you're comparing it to a game that essentially reinvigorated the racing genre, I mean, this is a game that I, I know that, you know, we say top grossing in Japan when we're not Japan. We said that about Dragon Quest five million times, but uh, it was in the top five of grossing arcade games in 1993. And for just kind of get memory hold, and I can understand why, because Daytona USA essentially made it irrelevant the second that game came out, because uh, it was a superior performance, and I think that's what people think of when they think of Sega Arcade Racers now. And it did have a poor Sega Genesis port, for what it's worth, and the yeah. game cost a yeah, hundred bucks. Yeah, Oof. yeah uh, well. it was in 1994 money. So, yeah, and, uh, and also Daytona USA. Daytona USA had, I, I would say, more character 
it, it, yes. it had a lot it more did. style than virtual racing. I mean, yeah. it, it really spoke to you with that announcer and, it, you know, with the Hornet and all that. I mean, it, it really was a character on its own. Yeah. In, in fact, a fighting game character. So, so yeah. All right. So, I guess that, that means that I am up next. And um, yes, sir. this next title, we were debating, Chris and I, whether... It was gonna be me or him that that selected it, and and I and you know what's coming. You know what's coming, Chris. I do. Why wasn't Thunder Force Four included in this damn tournament? Because Why? no one plays shmups. You millennial mm. sickos. <laughs> 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 Why didn't you pick Thunder Force Four? This is one of the greatest shoot 'em ups of all time. <laughs> a technical marvel, a game that made the Sega Genesis Mega Drive sing. A game that to this day is impressive, that you could play top to bottom today, and it has aged just as good as any other game out there. A game that has aged better than even Mario Kart. And Thunder Force Forward didn't make it. Now, come on, guys. I think. You know, Chris, you and I have spoken about it at length. I mean, it really, this is a product of shoot-em-ups being kind of a niche genre. Um, it, it really, It's really not one that you see your general, you know, gamers uh, mm-hmm. talk about, um, you know, at, at length. And uh, it's only a very particular subset of the gaming population that, that really speaks fondly um, of shoot-em-ups. It's, it's really a genre that lends itself to the hardcore kind of nomenclature and and i think because of that thunder force 4 suffered in in this particular tournament um i i would have thought you know even just you know if you google it and if you just watch something on youtube and you see what it looks like and you see how it sounds you know you 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 would have thought that people would have selected it just based on that but i guess it just wasn't enough but but yeah i mean i think thunder force 4 is is a terrific example of the shoot 'em up genre. I think that it's it's the perfect introduction. I would say to the shoot 'em up genre because it's not unfair and inscrutable as something like Gradius, where it's like still you know Gradius is very NES hard and, and the like. I mean, this game it's hard, but you could learn its systems. You could you could like ease into it and and start getting the hang of things. And the game also allows you to select the level so even if you're crap you can still kind of see a good chunk of the game similar you know to like a Mega Man or the like and it's just you know at the end of the day this game is such from a presentation point of view such a feast man such a feast like Technosoft which did some very good games in its time they just really pulled out all the stops with this game and in particular when you think about the fact that you know this is the fourth entry and a lot of the established developers, a lot of the team members uh, from Technosoft that worked on Thunder Force 3, they actually left Technosoft during the time. So Thunder Force 4 was actually built by a much younger team. Um, the the folks that, that did Thunder Force 3, they went on to do the Lords of Thunder games and, and you know, Gate of Thunder and all that. Also came out this year. Also came out this year and also deserved the mention. I mean, even though that that's more of a deeper cut than Thunder Force Four is, but yeah. you know the parallax crawling in this game just absolutely mind blowing. Yeah, like I mean, the, sp- yeah. the special effects in this game just absolutely amazing. But but at the end of the day, I mean, what really makes this game memorable is the music, man. I mean, Metal Squad. I mean, one of the best intros of all time. Just when you start <laughs> hearing that 
jamming guitar, you know, solo at at the start, and and you see the the ship and the thunder force is crawling past the screen. I mean, you know, you're ready. Like this game hypes you up. This game gets you ready to fucking shoot some shit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that level with with Metal Squad, which I think is like level seven or so. I mean that that is just completely epic, just absolutely epic. So I don't know, guys. I, I've talked too much. So, Chris, what what do you gotta say about Thunder Force Four? Uh, yeah. First of all, it's a shame it didn't make it in there, but there's there's plenty of reasons why. I think when you look at a lot of content creators, especially podcasters, they're Nintendo fanboys uh, or have a deeper Nintendo uh, Super Nintendo experience than the Sega Genesis. So already, what do we have? Like three Sega Genesis games total in the tournament. Something ridiculous. It's very Nintendo yeah. heavy. Very Nintendo heavy. So it's it's not a Super Nintendo game, first of all. Second of all, it's a shmup, and we didn't have any shmups in this list in, in pretty much peak shmup year. Not, not, uh, not, even, the, oh, yeah. not even peak Axelay shmup era. It, right? Not even Axelay. No, not even Axelay. Crazy. So this is this is a peak shmup year. Plus, this is a game that had two different names. So even if you remember it, did you, and you saw Thunder Force, Thor, Thunder Force 4, did you think Thunder Force 4, or did you think Lightning Force? Like the Revenge of Dark Star, or and not lightning, <laughs> lightning, lightning, uh, lightning, lightning. So <laughs> it's, it's it a has, force that that lightens up, you know, your mood. So <laughs> it has a lot going for it. It is one of like you said, Ozzy, one of the best shmups ever. Uh, a variable weapon selection. It's it's tough, but it's fair. You have a non-linear path to start your game off, and it's such a beautiful game, and it controls so well. And I, I think it's one of those games, if you take Soul Blazer out, because I'm thinking what you what you would take out. I'm mm-hmm. already taking out Mystic Quest for Virtual Racing, so I'm pretending that one's gone. Uh, but if you take out Soul Blazer, as good as Soul Blazer is, Thunder Force 4 is better. And if people had to sit down and play Thunder Force 4 and compare it to the X-Men arcade game, I think you would have a lot tougher of decision than what you had in that first round. Uh, Thunder Force 4 is just, it's it's up there with the epitome of shmups, and... I mean, if the shmup can't make it this year, and we're not going all the way back to 1985, I don't think, because nothing's beating Super Mario Brothers. The only one I could ever see getting in there is, might be Gradius or Galaga. Yeah, which would yeah. be 87, you know, so it's it's unfortunate. Jeff, I don't know, I mean, what are your thoughts on Thunder Force 4? Did you expect it to make it in, or any any insight on that? Well, I think, I think like Chris said, I I've, I think that there's, there's maybe uh, a learning of which people to... to you know, ask the question in the next tournament of what game should make it. <laughs> uh, maybe diversify the the, the, the thought process. Um, I mean, I I remember as well. Oh. I kind of I kind of banged my head against the wall when we were talking about the the uh, Final Fantasy versus Turtles. I I kind of thought, oh, I think I know which way people are going to go, and then suddenly I find out a game that no one played at the time is is everyone's favorite Final Fantasy ever. So it's just like, is this a Nintendo <laughs> thing or a JRPG thing? Because I don't get it. But I think, you I'm know, going to the mines, Jeff, to to get you some more salt. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it is an interesting one as a genre in general. Uh, you've got a situation where not even a genre, but a, a system where maybe it's a European thing. Maybe I'm going crazy, but like the Sega Mega Drive was such a massively, massively popular console here. To only have three titles on that list is a bit of a... It's a stretch. I mean, Sonic 2 is obviously on there, and I know people love to hate Sonic. Um, I love Sonic's first few levels, and then I get a bit bored. So, yeah, no, I'm, I am I guess that's my thought, is like maybe if you want more more diverse and less Final Fantasies in your list, 
maybe see who's making the... How many Final Fantasy made it this time? Three? Four? Well, you, you just said it, Jeff. I mean, it, it was very popular in Europe. Yeah. You are the only European representation we have here. True. Um, oh, God. We have Australians... <laughs> But we don't have more European representation. I think they than were. You, Australia was a Nintendo and then a PlayStation. Oh, of place. course. Yeah. But yeah. But yeah. Stepping out of the salt mines. <laughs> I think I. I just feel like we we shoot 'em ups. Um, it is like that niche aspect of it is always going to be detrimental to them. Um, I think yeah. any sort of if you whatever year you pick next, it definitely will be a good idea to to think about like the genres and maybe which ones will be. Under or which ones just won't be will be overlooked that you might realize actually there's like some absolute gems in there. Not that you wanna, not that you wanna you know falsify any sort of voting or rigging any of any voting systems. But uh, Chris hasn't done that at all. No, he's never done that. No one's ever done that. I haven't. Stop it. Everyone I'm being serious. I'm being serious. You've never done that. <laughs> I try not to. Or, or am I? <laughs> um, no, I mean, look, I, I. I, I really regretted that Thunder Force 4 didn't make it in. And, and like Chris said, if, if Thunder Force 4 can make it in, I mean, that doesn't bode well for any other shmup um, on any other year. So, I, I don't know. Other than rigging it and trying to get, like, shmup junkie on, on this thing. Uh, but even then, one person one vote, is right? not... Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's just one vote. It's just one damn vote. I think this uh, this game, I mean, it barely... Like, it almost made it in. I think that it, it was like two points shy of making it in, but it just couldn't gather the votes. But no, but seriously, I mean, if, if there's anything that you take out of this episode is go go to YouTube and listen to Metal Squad. Yeah, just be ready to be blown away. Like, you could blast that shit. Like, be like, like Marty McFly and put it on like the big, big fucking amplifier like that's that's how you should listen to metal squad in fact you should go out every weekend and put your convertible or like your porsche or whatever and just blast metal squad to it you're gonna be the coolest cat on the block just saying just saying it's gonna earn you some cool points right away um but with that um let's take a quick break uh we're gonna come back with the second set of uh, picks and uh yeah we'll see you in a bit everyone and we're back and we're gonna go for a second round of picks for honorable mentions um as you have seen uh we're all just a little bit salty but <laughs> we're fine we're fine we can handle the salt so jeff speaking of salt what's your next pick so i'm sticking in in europe once again i think anyone who listened to any of the uh, um so for the region free gamer podcast i did a few episodes about european and especially british developers so i kind of i seem to always aussie like pick developers and games that that you guys just not and it wasn't your fault but they just didn't get published um 
This time, this one did. But again, like, I'm really interested to hear your thoughts on this one. Um, so this is a game called Flashback uh, by Delphine, a French uh, developer. Um, yeah. Incredibly popular at the time. I'm looking at, again, like the scores that it got. It was all in the 90s, in the percents. Delphine, a French developer uh, working on, on Flashback, a very, very famous uh, for its rotoscope uh, graphics, which wasn't new at the time. It'd been tested, I think, Prince of Persia. We can, if we want to look at the legacy going backwards, it's Prince of Persia that kind of spearheaded that. Um, but this was uh, incredibly popular at the time. I think I saw like all the scores were in the 90s um, from all the magazines, from the Amiga magazines to PC to even to the consoles. I think Mega Drive is generally considered one of the better platform conversions. Um, yeah. And and this is a game that for a 38-year-old Jeff absolutely loves um, from a storyline perspective, from a, a world perspective. Gameplay-wise, a bit clunky, and it even was back then a bit clunky, a bit difficult. Um, but it's essentially uh, an amalgamation. It's a, it's a combination of all different sci-fi elements and stories, um, movies, books, um, all put into... Um, a, a game which apparently was meant to be at the basis of it was from the godfather because us gold who published it um apparently had the license for godfather at the time <laughs> so this was meant to wow. meant to be like a godfather type mafia game um and if you know the story of flashback you know that there you know there is a little bit of um uh, you know conspiracy mafia stuff going on but then Almost every part of it you can trace back to a 1980s movie or a book from the 50s or 60s. Um, so you've got Total Recall in there, which is a Philip K. Dick short story. The We remember it for you wholesale. You've got some Blade Runner in there. You've got some Acura in there. Um, you've got quite a few nice uh, nods to popular sci-fi culture from, from, from the time. Um, and then like one of the amazing things that I remember because I had it on the SNES, my first game on the SNES actually, um, were the cinematics. The yeah. the opening scene, especially with the hover bikes, um, with the hologram with a hologram cube that that has a uh, Conrad's memory or his his uh, yeah because he's had his memory wiped um, installed in it. And at the time, like m- mid nineties, I think I played it. Would have been ninety the Christmas of ninety four. I think I would have played this um it it was incredible to see this on a home console um this was pre donkey kong country days where you know which we did amazing rendering this this was a bit different but it uh it was uh and you know a very very nice looking game a bit like another world their previous game uh looked incredible as i said the gameplay lets it down i think it makes it very difficult to return to um as um, as brilliant as the first level is at teaching you how to play, it's also incredibly frustrating. It handles like Prince of Persia in terms of the hanging and the jumping. Uh, you just added need to add gunplay in there, but it meant that you had to do some leaps of faith. And if you mistime that in any way, shape or form, you're basically immediately dead. And that became very, very frustrating. So I can see why people find that frustrating today. Um, yeah. Yeah. So flashback. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think that this is one of those what we now call cinematic platformers. Yep, yep. You know, which Prince of Persia popularized, but also Delphine, um, or Delphine, I don't know how you properly say it, but they also did a year earlier, Another World, mm-hmm. 
which was kind of the seminal cinematic platformer in addition to Prince of Persia. That's the one that kind of really made it into a into a kind of narrative-driven uh, story um, and game. And Flashback is just kind of the the twin to, to another world in a way. But the thing, as, as you mentioned, Jeff, I mean, really, I think the big reason why this game is not more popular is just because it's, uh, I think Snest Drunk has called it a pick-up-and-die game because it's just constant trial and error. Yes. It's just a game built around trial and error. It's like, okay, you didn't make that jump, you died, okay, try again. You died, try again. You died, try again. Okay, you made it. You made it just one inch further. Okay, die, try again. Die, try again. And it's just, that's not that's not a gameplay loop that has aged terribly well. Mm-hmm. And um, I know that there are some that, that have a fond memory of those types of uh, games, but I think that for the most part, most gamers, just like, I mean, I think really this is kind of a, a cousin to the FMV games, um, like you know, Dragon's Lair and the like. Um, for the most part, those types of games were just constantly dying and you had to figure out how to get it right. I think they just haven't done that well. I mean, you have this, you have Blackthorn, and a few other games here and there, you know, in this particular mold. I mean, even Flashback itself, it had an, it actually had a sequel, you know, yep. called Fade to Black. Yeah. And that was on the PS1. Yep. And even that game, I mean, kind of moved away from that type of cinematic platformer. It was more of a traditional, it was a more traditional kind of 3D third-person shooter in a way. But yeah, Flashback, I know I know it was remade some years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was released on Xbox Live Arcade and the like. And, and the actual original game has been ported to the Switch. And it's on sale like constantly. It's like I know $2, because I, it. I think. It's super cheap. Yeah, like $2 or something like that. So very easy to play nowadays. Yep. But yeah, I mean, I could definitely see why this game is not it's not here. Um, I could see why it's not more popular. But still, you know, from a from a historical perspective, I mean, I I must imagine that seeing this game in action back in the day must have been extremely impressive. Yeah. Just like, oh my god, you know, when you're comparing this to like Super Mario World, which I love how it looks and the like, but it's like, oh my god, this is like playing a movie. Yeah. That that feeling, it's like playing a movie. That that's I think what everyone back in the day wanted to achieve, at least everyone that was in Miyamoto. So I, I think that it, it's it's a game that back in the day I would have been head over heels for. So I don't know, Chris, if you have any other thoughts on, on Flashback. I mean, I'm not totally shocked it's not there. I just think it's it's one of those games that it's it's not very approachable. It's uh, not very accessible for most game players, especially it's, it has that European design. It's very, I, I don't want to say aggressively European, but you could tell it's European when you play it. And there are very few games that I think are really internationally renowned from, from European developers. I know the Europeans love them, but they just, they have a difficult time gaining a lot of traction in, in other markets, especially particularly during the 16 bit era. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now when you look at, I, I think a lot of people, when they see these types of games, I think they immediately associate it with, uh, with Prince of Persia as opposed to flashback. But I do remember when this game did come out for the Super Nintendo, I think a year or two later, a lot of people were hyped about it. This was a pretty big deal. Mm -hmm. Uh, I know, like, in 1992 was the Amiga version, of course, and, like, you had the Amiga in Europe, and we didn't even know what it was here in the States. But this was a game when it got ported to other systems. People took notice. And I just think, like, this this gets memory hold a lot just because of its its difficulty. As you said, pick up and die. Yeah. And... Let, let's be real. In, in 1992, when you're associating what kind of games you're attached to, it's 
it's not that people liked easy games, but they they liked games that were, I don't know, just just more traditional, more of your Mario platformers, just very. You see progress immediately. You can progress through the first or second level without issue. And that's not a game like Flashback, especially uh, most of us voting on these things were what, like seven, eight, maybe ten at the oldest out of this group. And we had people who were one. This this isn't yeah. a game that a lot of people would would really try to get to. Um, it's a shame because it would have been nice to talk about. I, I can't think of a game I would replace it with, unfortunately, no. but it's, it's a, it's a, it's, it's definitely another one of those landmark games that did really move the industry forward. And it is gorgeous. It's just not particularly, I don't know. In, in my mind, it's not particularly fun, but I could completely understand people who, who gravitated toward, towards it back then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's put it this way. I mean, if someone had voted for it, I would not have batted an eye and I would have been like, oh, that's fair. I personally wouldn't have voted for it, but I because th- this year's was so strong. But there are definitely some games that made it into the tournament that I would have put this game over those particular games. Sure. Um, so, but it's just not a game I would have picked. But again, it's because it's been it was such a strong year. Um, so that's that's good. So Jeff, uh, I don't know if you want to go into your next pick since we don't know how long we're gonna have you for. Yeah, sure. Um, now that flashback and my childhood has been. It's been, you know, demolished. Demolished. <laughs> um, no, the 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 next game, which I think I can say, I could, I I know exactly why Flashback would never make it into a top top games list uh, for 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 that year. But this next game, um, I'm kind of surprised it was anywhere near anywhere near any sort of c- contemplation. But I actually played it uh, so much when I was a kid, and I loved it just because I was determined, absolutely determined to love it. And that's Super Star Wars. One of possibly (laughs) the hardest uh, movie franchise games I think I owned and played during the 90s. And no matter how hard I tried, I could never get past, I think, the fourth level. It just absolutely... And I think Empire and Return of the Jedi get even harder. Yeah. Um, yeah. The reason why the reason why I, I I brought it up I think is because it's it's an interesting uh, example of when movie franchises look absolutely incredible, but especially in those days, completely they completely do themselves a disservice by making themselves incredibly difficult. I'm also thinking of like Bart versus the Space Mutants, which was another childhood game of mine. <laughs> of why or, or Bill and Ted, Bill and, Bill Ted, and Ted, I know that you love Jeff. Why make these games so difficult? Why do it, especially Lucas Arts? And I think you know Lucas Arts is a at the time in the in the early nineties was churning out hit after hit when it came to uh, point and click or whatever you want to call that that that, that genre. Um, but I love the design of this, the character design, even. Um, the music they obviously had all the license, so they had all the all the good music. You know, LucasArts could do whatever they want with their own with their own IP. It had, but it just had incredibly infuriating level design. Um, yeah, and you know all the things that is just painful, painful, painful. But every so often, I still have to, you know, I've got it on my SNES Classic. Every so often, I just got I've got to boot it up and just re relive the pain. And is it? Yeah. Am I weird for that? Am I weird for for enjoying being punished for liking Star Wars a, 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 a little bit but i think I mean, we're all we're all guilty dark souls is a thing for a reason right i mean that's the meme <laughs> that's true 
Well, you want you want to relive how you felt at that time, but yes. it's not only one of the toughest movie license games. It's it's just one of the toughest games of all time. Period. I I, I do think that. I remember playing it um, back in the day, and it was just like immediately just got obliterated. And I just don't know why they made this game so hard. And it's like they had the opportunity to course correct. They had the opportunity to like make it a little bit easier with the later games. And no, they just they doubled down. fucking doubled down on it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's like fuck your kids, fuck your house, fuck your controller. <laughs> We're gonna make it as hard as we can. But with that said, I am a little bit shocked that this game didn't make it in because Star Wars is a thing, and yeah. Star Wars was. And it is so big. And particularly, this was a game that came out during the follow period, where we weren't seeing a lot of Star Wars games. And maybe that's part of the reason why. Maybe that's part of the reason why people didn't pick it, because Return of the Jedi at that point had come out eight years earlier. And so people were just not as big into Star Wars at the time, because we were still like seven years away from getting The Phantom Menace. Crazy. But it's a beautiful-looking game, just absolutely beautiful-looking game. Just the sprite work on this game and the effects and the parallax and the and the alpha effects, you know, with the snow and in, in in you know in, in the game. I mean, it's just it looks absolutely beautiful. But I just you know it, the game is just too hard for its own good. It's 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 really unfortunate thing that this is not a game that has aged well just because it's so tough to get through. Chris, I don't know if you had any experience with this game. I didn't play it at all, to be honest. Like, I, I think I heard about them after The Return of the Jedi came out, and that's why I even heard about them, but I haven't even played any of them. But um, in, in terms of why it didn't make it, I, I think you I think you hit all the wicked points there, Ozzy. It's just there wasn't a lot happening with Star Wars at that time. The prequels weren't out yet. Uh, we, we didn't even go to the outside universes like we did with Shadows of the Empire, which is, I think was a, was a bigger deal than this game. And I think you even just look at the year in the, in the games we selected and if they weren't like niche weird jrpg love affairs like your soul blazers or your dragon quest fives or your final fantasy fives how and they they didn't really make it in by a lot but you like why didn't super star wars make it i think that's the split where the people who would have played super star wars at least in the united states for the bulk of our our voting you know yeah. uh, population came from if if they're going to be voting for a game they're they're voting with the iconic ones like your Sonic 2s your your Mario Kart Super Mario Land stuff like that and those are the ones that that you have more nostalgia for rather than a Super Nintendo game that's really hard so if you're if you're not voting for shmups and JRPGs you're voting for the main line titles which is fine because they're all fantastic games and 1992 is great but you're probably like yeah but Star Wars isn't as good as you know Turtles in Time is it like no it's not or is it as good as mario no it's mario and then it, it just kind of gets forgotten about and and just the myriad of titles you would typically associate with you know your yeah. childhood mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah absolutely any any parting thoughts jeff i mean would you want to replace any of the games that made it with super star wars <laughs> no chance no chance i just wanted <laughs> i just wanted to bring it up because I, it's, it's one of those games that would never ever get brought up on a, on a podcast of this quality because uh, it is so fucking shit um you can edit it out you can, <laughs> that's quite rude of me um i no, i think stay rude i think ultimately you know uh as, as i said at the beginning i struggle to to put anything in i think you've made some good some good points i think you still both got your two games to go but i'm content that the games that i grew up with playing didn't make it on the list 
And I think I think that's fair. I think that's fair. It doesn't mean that I didn't enjoy them or love hating or hate love hating them, whatever it is. But um, yeah, I'm quite I'm quite content. I've said my piece on them. Let, let it let it be on the record that Jeff Ivatz prefers to play Night Trap as opposed to Super Star Wars. So just <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. I never played Night Trap, believe it or not, and I don't think I ever will. It it no. <laughs> so Chris, what's your next game? Um, you're up next. We can't have a 1992 discussion without having a single game from the TurboGrafx-16 or PC Engine, can we? Like, that <laughs> that was still a system that was happening. And it, it was really hard to find any game that would really stick out in 1992 for the TurboGrafx or PC Engine. So I'm not saying this game should have been on our list, but I am going to say this game is, is phenomenal. It's a lot of fun. Not better than Thunder Force 4, but it's still a standout shmup, and that is Soldier Blade. The, the last Soldier game released for the TurboGrafx-16 and, and PC Engine. And I, I I can understand why this didn't get more traction. First of all, we already said we mentioned shmups. And I, I think maybe 10 people owned a TurboGrafx-16. So just for any TurboGrafx... <laughs> including Kanye West. Including, uh, let's not talk about him. <laughs> <laughs> let's not talk about Kanye. <laughs> but, um... I, I think that, uh, look, Soldier Blade is just, it's, it's a really solid shmup, and it has a lot of the characteristics and DNA that Blazing Lasers had, which is my favorite shmup of all time. And it should. It was made by the same people. I think it was made by, was it made by Compile or Hudson? Uh, it was made by Compile. Yeah. yeah. It was a Compile and game. So this is, this is a fantastic, it's a fantastic series, and this is just one of the best entries in that series. Looks great. Music is fantastic. And uh, from what I understand, the game was rushed to production. It was not well-received in 1992, even by shmup fanatics. But as time has gone on, it's like one of those games that just has aged like a fine wine. When you go back and you look at it today, like shmup aficionados, they they look at this game with high regard. And again, if, if a shmup like Thunder Force 4 wasn't going to make it, neither was Soldier Blade. And... Yeah. I don't think it should have made it into the top 20, but it should be mentioned as a game that just overall solid standout title for the TurboGrafx-16, and that's why I'm mentioning it here. Yeah. No, I haven't played it. I do know, based on the episode that Region Free Gamers did on Compile that Shmup Junkie was on, that this is a, a beloved game. Um, I know that if you're a Shmup fan, Soldier Blade is just one of those games that is up there uh, because it's not the most complex one. It's not the hardest one. It's not the easiest one. It's it's like the Goldilocks game. It's like the Goldilocks shmup. It's just right. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, it just feels like this is not one of like the, the TurboGrafx CD games. This actually came on the Hue card and everything. So um, again, it's not the most impressive shmup out there. But it's just from everyone that played this game, they just have very fond memories of it. I, I just, I can't tell you why it was so special. I, I, I never played it, um, unfortunately, even though I have a TurboGrafx-16 Mini sitting right there. I mean, I, I probably should fire it up at some point. Also on the Wii U, if, uh, yeah, you roll that way. Um, <laughs> and you should. And, and you're a sadist <laughs> like Chris. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's I, I can tell you that's the reason why probably this game wasn't selected. It's just, this is niche of niche um you know it's just very hard to get a game like this on on the scoreboard um and to get so many people to like agree to add it up but if we're talking about pound for pound like quality 
if if this tournament was only about quality of the game itself and how well it has aged, I think that that this probably would be in the running. But when when you're comparing it to a lot of other games that were just more popular, you know, because yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, King of Games ends up turning into a little bit of a popularity contest. And you know, the way I see it, you weed out a lot of the, you know, a lot of the just popular for popular sake, like. <clears throat> Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. But yeah, I mean, I, I think this game had a, a really, really tough uphill battle uh, to wage against the rest of the game. So, um, all right, well, that's, that's you know, Soldier Blade. So um, definitely go out, play it. If you're interested at all in shmups, I think you're going to be, uh, you're going to be in for a treat from what I hear. I definitely will go back and play it after this. Um, so um, if you're not hearing Jeff, it's because Jeff uh, is on mute right now. Uh, because his baby just woke up, but, uh, trust us, he's there, he's listening, he didn't like my, uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, uh, joke, um, so I thought that was just a good way, uh, of, uh, ribbing him. Anyways, that means, uh, I am up next, and, uh, I do think that this next game, it, it's a huge travesty that it wasn't selected. Mm. And I can see why it wasn't selected, because... You know, filthy millennials, terrible human um, beings, terrible Quite human about beings. But I, I could see why it wasn't selected. But I, I do think that this game, in any, I would say, not ob- objective, but yes, kind of objective. If we were talking about pound for pound legacy quality, influential, I think this game would have to be there. And and that's ultimate underworld decision abyss. And Ultimate Underworld, I mean, it's very, it's very rare to see a game that you could honestly say it's one of the most influential games of all time. I mean, you have Street Fighter Two, which is also on this tournament. You have Super Mario Brothers. You have Sevius. You have uh, Donkey Kong. I mean, those are all hugely influential. But I do think Ultimate Underworld belongs in that conversation because so much of the DNA of this game can be seen in almost all like first person games that we see nowadays and and that's very rare to see and i can tell you that the reason why this game didn't make it is because come on i mean it's it's a pc game from 1992 in a year in which most of us, as Chris has mentioned, I mean, the oldest one was seven years old. I mean, if you were seven, you weren't playing a first-person 3D RPG. You just were not, you know. You you probably didn't even have a PC that you could have access to because that was for your dad and his quote-unquote work. And so this was a very Nintendo, very console-centric audience. I mean, this this one probably didn't have a chance in hell. I would have expected our participants to be a little bit more objective and, and, you know, I don't know, do some research on which games were hugely influential in 1992. Um, yes, shot across the bow. Uh, because if they had done so, they would have seen that, that this game was the reason why they were able to play Bioshock in 2007. You know, it was the reason why they were able to play Dishonored in 2012. Um, it's the reason why Half-Life was a thing. Because this game was the reason why Skyrim exists. It's the reason why the Elder Scrolls exists in the first place. Because it was the first 3D first-person RPG. You know, before this, you had 
you know, you had first-person games, but you didn't have first-person 3D RPGs. You have first-person RPGs, but they were in 3D. This game brought it all together. This game is the reason why the term immersive sims works. I mean, it's the reason why you have Thief. It's the reason why you have System Shock. It's the reason why you have Deus Ex. It's the reason why you have Dishonored, Bioshock, so on and so forth. All of these games were... Choice is the name of the game. Choice is the reason why you play, and it's completely open-ended. It's completely non-linear. It's all about dialogue. It's about choices. I mean, you could say Mass Effect is a big reason why you know Ultimate Underworld exists because you know Mass Effect is, exists because of Ultimate Underworld. There are so many ways in which this game was usually influential. I mean, it launched the career of Warren Spector. It was designed by Paul Neurath, and it was published by Origin Systems, which was a powerhouse at the time with Ultima, and then with Chris Roberts and Wing Commander, and so on and so forth. But this game, I mean, it was developed by Blue Sky Productions, which eventually ended up being Looking Glass. Looking Glass, of course, better known for System Shock and uh, and Thief, and eventually that formed into Ion Storm, which did Deus Ex, and a bunch of other games that, that you know, like Daikatana. Yeah, I mean, I know I'm rambling, but it's just like, it, it just befuddles me that the more that you look into this game, the more you realize, oh my god, why the hell did this game not make it in? Like, this could genuinely be a, a contender for the finals, but it just didn't, you know, and it, may, it, and it didn't make it in when other games like Mario Paint did. And if we're talking about influence, and if we're talking about legacy, you know, Night Trap made it in, and it's like... Well, what about Ultima Underworld and its legacy? And it's like, this is the gamer's game. This is the game that game developers, that, that launch a 100 game developers. It's the game that launched Cliff Blasinski. It's the game that launched Ken Levine. You know, so many developers see this game as the cornerstone of launching their careers and, and why they became developers in the first instance. You know, that it just blows my mind that it wasn't included. So... Yeah, I'm chastising every single one of you that didn't pick this game. All right, so Chris, what do you have to say about that? I didn't pick this game. Um, <laughs> I think, look, I, I think a key component of the King of Games, at least from I've heard, you know, going all the way back to 98, is that uh, to be in the King of Games tournament or to even be a contender for the King of Games tournament, people have had to play it. And I, I hate to say this, but... In 1992, as you already said, people weren't playing PC games, and we had to make it. And the the two that made it, Wolfenstein 3D, was because everyone knows Wolfenstein 3D by now because it was ported to everything. And the other one is is Dune 2, which helped found the the genre that was probably among the the biggest genre in PC gaming, other than the first person shooters. And when I say first person shooters, I mean Doom in the RTS genre. And even that took like a little to get over the hump. Look, I'm, I'm sure Ultima. I don't know anything about Ultima Underworld. I think the other component is, too, it's an Ultima game. And Ultima games, as, as big as they were within the PC community, they Extreme are nerdy. incredibly <laughs> niche. Yes, they're incredibly nerdy. They, It's just, you're, you're talking about a game that, you know, like, we could put it in the tournament, and just to understand it, you would have to play it, I think. It's one of those games that just to get the whole entire idea of how special it is or how good it is, uh, you would have to play it. I think that's another game like what you saw in 2000 with Deus Ex. And a lot of people, I think, like, well, Deus Ex, I think a lot more people are upset about that not advancing than, than Ultimate Underworld not even making it. But that's because 
look, a lot of people when they're talking about gaming from especially from 1992, just they they don't they didn't play PC games. And this was on the episodes that we had when we said like a game sold 200,000 copies. We're like, wow, that's incredible for a PC game. And I know people will chide in. They'll say, well, who played Dragon Quest V? Because that's in the finals of your tournament. That'll be in the next episode when it goes up against Street Fighter 2. Well, no one played the United States and it sold 2.9 million copies. So like people have to play these games in order for it to make it in. I understand, like, it can be a very, very important game. It probably, you can make the argument that it probably should be in here over Night Trap. But I think a lot more people remember Night Trap. A lot more people bought Night Trap. Night Trap's been re-released on everything. It's very accessible today and has been brought into the limelight uh, for, you know, one of the reasons be because of the documentary that one of our guests made, Corey, made about Night Trap. Uh, But, yeah, I I feel you. I get where you're coming from, but there's another game on here like Might and Magic that didn't make it, and that's another high-quality PC game. And why isn't it in here? No one played, no one was playing them. (laughs) And that sucks. And I'm glad you're mentioning it, because that does put that focus on it. But when no one's playing the games, it's not going to make it into a game where people have to talk about what it was like when they were playing it as a child. Yeah, I mean, look, I it did sell nearly 500,000 copies, Chris. So uh, it's not insignificant, but I guess it reinforces that a lot of this tournament, it's kind of a popularity contest. And, and I hate that. Yeah. <laughs> I hate that, but it gets into a philosophical argument about what this tournament should be about. And and I've, I've always, going back to its inception, you know, I've always had a, kind of a discrepant perspective of what it should be about. And, I, and I've thought about, okay, which is the game that stands the test of time? And and I don't think that's what this tournament is about. Um, it's it's really not about that. But it, and it, that's fine. It's part of it. It's though. fine. It's it's fine yeah. to just have differing ideas of what you know this tournament should be about. And it's fine if it's just about you know, hey, let's chat about games that we enjoyed, we like, and and let's duke it out. You know, like if it was just a playground all over again, and that's totally fine. But I do think that this game needs to be mentioned. I do think that it yeah. is one of the most influential games of all time and you know have would i play it nowadays very hard very very hard for me to say that i would go back and play it but i do think that it at least deserves an honorable mention i mean let's just, let's just go back i mean what is the setting of this game it's set in a city that was created as an utopia and now it's a dystopia because its founder passed away does does that ring any bells Anyone? <laughs> I mean, it, it goes back to this game. This game was the blueprint, the foundation for all of the shock games. So, I don't know. I, I think that it's it's a shame, but at, at the very least, we can know that it was mentioned on the King of Games. It was in our minds, even if not in our hearts. And, uh, yeah, I mean, look into it. Look into Ultima Underworld. It deserves to be played. It deserves to be recognized. Just, you know... It had its day in the sun, even if it was just on this one episode. So, um, Chris, what's your next game? Just let's not kick that any further. I'm done with the salt mines. I'm not going to be salty anymore. Um, that's it. The salt is done. Okay. And yeah, all Only our guests... sugar from me going forward. <laughs> I'm not all my all the guests that we had on this, all the voters in the panel. We got a hundred percent right. We have no issues, no flaws. All the, all of your picks <laughs> no were flaws. Fantastic. Um, so I, I'm going to go uh, on another deep cut here. Ozzy kind of pressured me into it, and he makes a good point, because I am, like, uh, the biggest cheerleader for this series. 
And if I didn't mention it, I think I would, you know, it'd be remiss to do so. And, uh, you know, we did include two games that were released exclusively in Japan and were a big deal. So I thought I'd bring up another one that was released exclusively in Japan that is a big deal that we still, in a way, have, well, in a way we've gotten it, but really we've never gotten its original incarnation where its sequels we have. And that is Romancing Saga. And that was released on January 28th of 1992 for the Super Famicom. Yeah. And I get it. Yeah. This is another game that if, if for American audiences in particular is not very accessible. It's, it's kind of a combination of the Western RPG concept and JRPG concept where your, your party is completely customizable. They don't have traditional levels. They gain levels by, by what they use and what they, what they do. So in, in a way, kind of like what Ultima does, Ozzy, there you go. So it all kind of ties in, but, uh, this is this is the Super Nintendo iteration of what Final Fantasy II matured into. It's you know comes out of Final Fantasy Legend one and two, also known as Saga one and two, because Saga Saga three's kind of not really a Saga game if you look at the development cycle of it. Yeah, yeah, it was a Sunsoft game really. Yeah, and this is this is Akitoshi Kawazu, you know, being Akitoshi Kawazu with with a Kenji Ito soundtrack, and it's it's an open world game. You have to like. Decisions you make in the game have impacts later on. Uh, it has a battle counter that the more battles you fight, the the amount of quests you can get or cannot get change. Uh, the the depending on who's your party, it depends on what kind of side quest you can pick up at certain parts of the game. So it's very expense. It's very expansive. It's it's very ambitious, especially for an early Super Famicom game. And it spawned two sequels in Romancing Saga 2 and 3, and then it continued on to the PlayStation with Saga Frontier 1 and 2. And if you talk to the American audiences who have played Saga, uh, you either have one or two outcomes. They they have a soft spot for it and really like it, or they absolutely hate it. But <laughs> There's no in-between with Saga. There is no in-between. Uh, yeah. Because it is like, they just drop you in the world and say, go. And you're like, what yeah. are you supposed to do? And they're like, we're not fucking telling you. <laughs> um, and uh, but Japanese, the Japanese game players have absolutely ate it up and they love it. And they love this was it. this was a really well selling game. This sold well over a million copies in Japan. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it blows my mind. I mean, it's just like you could kind of see in a way why Japan had this perception of the of the West is like, oh, they don't really know RPGs. They're kind of dumb. So let's just give them Mystic Quest. It's yeah. like, because you know for a fact that if Romancing Saga had come out in the West, everyone would have been like, what? <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> what, what, what are you doing in this game? <laughs> like, what the hell? It's and very, it's just like, yeah. no, like, Kawazu, like, he doesn't care. Like he doesn't care about you the fact that you don't get what the hell you need to do. It's like you figure it out on your own, dude. Like I'm just making the games that I want to play. Like I'm just doing whatever the hell I want to do and it's just like it blows my mind that Squaresoft at the time was just like, "All right, dude, you you built like the battle system for Final Fantasy. You do whatever you want, dude." Like just <laughs> you know. Like, to this day, he's still doing that. <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> I don't know why the hell, like, Square just, like, lets Akitoshi Kawazu just do whatever the hell he wants. It's like, just, you know, like, he must be, like, a really, like, good producer, like, on all the other stuff that we don't hear about. Because, like, they just let him do whatever he wants, like, every once in a while. And, you know, now, this year, they're letting him remake Romancing Saga. Like, the remake of Romancing Saga that came out on the PS2, it's coming, it just came out with Minstrel Song. Yep. So, the Saga series, still going. 
still going. And really, I mean, even though the Final Fantasy Legend games, I mean, they were the inception. You could probably say that Romancing Saga on the Famicom, the Super Famicom, that was really the moment where Saga became a series. You know, because yes. up up to this point, it was just Final Fantasy Legends and so on and so forth. So, yeah, but this is really, I mean, this is kind of like Ultima Underworld in that it's kind of the gamer's game. Like, it, this is the RPG player's RPG. Like, <laughs> it's it's really super hardcore. It's absolutely hardcore. But you know what? I mean, I'm I'm glad you mentioned it, Chris. I'm I'm glad that it's uh, it's at least you know in passing mentioned in this in this episode. So um. Yeah, man. Glad, glad that you uh, you have a soft spot for it. I know you're a big fan of Saga Frontier, so I'm I'm glad that that you you made a mention of Romancing Saga. And, and just since you mentioned that, I'm that one person that always stood by Saga Frontier, even when it got shit on forever. <laughs> and now all of a sudden, they, they come out with the remaster, and everyone's like, "Yeah, that game was so good." No, fuck you. I remember what you said about it. I remember. All right. Chris Chris is the original Saga hipster. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> I liked Saga before it was cool. It's yeah, still not cool. But. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So I guess that leads me towards my last pick. And uh, we just lost Jeff. So, uh, Jeff, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Jeff. Uh, we weren't able to uh, wave him goodbye in person. Well, over over whatever it is that we're using Boy. virtually since we're not in the Netherlands right now. But, Jeff, thank you so much for joining us. Always nice to see some European representation. And uh, Jeff always bringing that European Amiga sensibility. Love it. Absolutely. Absolutely love it. Um, all right, so that's my my final pick. And, you know, after this final pick, I guess, Chris, you and I can just kind of quickly go over a few of the other games that released this year that, um, that just deserve a, a quick mention. Uh, but sure. my last pick is going to be Indiana Jones and the Fate of Atlantis. Yeah, man, I mean, I love the Indiana Jones series. I I know that they're releasing a new movie sometime next year, and I can't say that I am too excited for it after Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, which was absolutely fucking horrible. Never happened. Um, but yeah, love the Indiana Jones series. Love uh, you know the Raiders of the Lost Ark. Love the uh, you know the Raider the Last Crusade, so on and so forth. But really, this is was released by LucasArts. And uh, LucasArts at the time, as Jeff alluded to earlier, they were firing on all cylinders at the time. They were, you know, releasing scum games uh, on on the scum system, the point-and-click adventures. So you had things like Maniac Mansion, Day of the Tentacle, you had uh, Escape from Monkey Island, all of those games that are like bonafide classics nowadays. And it's just, you know, funny to see that one of those games was... Indiana Jones. Of course, Indiana Jones is a Lucasfilm property. I mean, people tend to forget that Indiana Jones was a George Lucas joint and directed by Steven Spielberg. So it's one of those games that was really like a super, super team, you know, coming together to to make this happen, Um, you know, with Harrison Ford uh, in the the protagonist share. And, uh, you know, the fact that LucasArts had access to this IP, to the Indiana Jones IP, resulted in in this game, in Fate of Atlantis. And it's really, you know, if you were to look at a game that was perfectly representative of the point-and-click genre, particularly in the LucasArts mold, um, I think that Indiana Jones would be right up there. I mean, you could argue that it's between this and Escape from Monkey Island. Those, This were the two games that were really just a perfect pinnacle of the adventure genre um, at the time, the adventure game genre at the time. 
I personally haven't played it, uh, but I think that it really deserves mention because I see it come up in the you know in greatest adventure games of all time conversation. And so I don't know, Chris. I mean, did you play this? Were you uh, familiar with this before this? Again, no. Uh, this is. I think you know this is going to hit a lot of common threads with with Ultima Underworld. It's it's a PC game, yeah. And even even worse than being a PC game, it's a point and click, which is a <laughs> genre that has not aged well in the minds of gamers. I know it's yeah. kind of made a little bit of resurgence recently, but a lot of those point and clicks they're not of the same vein that point and clicks were back then. They're they're yeah. very straightforward and and I would I, I would say rather simple, maybe even mindless, but they're more visual novels than anything today. So when you go back to like 1992 and people think point and click, they immediately kind of they make this face that just like this immediate yeah. recoil, like, oh, my God, no. Yeah. So when you, you talk about a LucasArts game from from that era, unless you're talking about a game maybe like Grim Fandango, which was, you know, six years later, as we infamously know, or yeah, uh, yeah. Day of the Tentacle. And definitely or better Mansion. than Starcraft. Yeah. Definitely, definitely better than Starcraft. It's been proven. Um, <laughs> but, you know, you get to... <laughs> You get you get to a point with point and clicks, and I think you know people just run and they flee. I think they'd be more open to an Ultima Underworld than than the Indiana Jones, to be honest with you, just because the adventure genre just has that kind of uh, negative connotation with it. But I mean, I'm sure if you like adventure games and you like the point and click genre, there is a lot of stuff going on during this time. There is yeah. like this was peak of that. This of is that the hater. era. Yeah, I think Secret of Monkey Island was either right before or right after this too. So I think you have a lot of those things going on, a lot of those ideas being borrowed back and forth. And yeah, I don't think an adventure game, like a point and click adventure game, other than Grim Fandango, which I I know you guys picked those games differently when Region Free Gamers did back in 1998, um, how you came to those conclusions. But the way we do it now, I don't know if a point and click adventure will ever make a King of Games tournament. I don't think so. Yeah, Um, I don't think so. I mean, maybe... Maybe Monkey Island. I could maybe. see Monkey Island maybe making it in there. Uh, but other than that, I don't think so. I don't think Full Throttle is going to make it in there. You know, I don't... Maybe maybe Day of the Tentacle, but uh, nah. <laughs> I don't I don't think so. Or maybe Maniac Mansion, since that came out on the NES. I mean, maybe that's, uh, that's a possibility. That game. Yeah. yeah, but it's just it's just a tough sell. And, and look, at the end of the day, I mean, we all know the reasons why. I mean, we all know that adventure games, which I think is a bad term because they're really not adventures. They're, like you said, Chris, more of a visual novel with, like, trial and error. Um, they're very inscrutable. They have, they follow its own logic. They kind of just, you know, are very difficult to get through if you're not using a guide. But from what I hear, I mean, this game has a really good adventure, like, a, a really good Indiana Jones narrative. It has a really good Indiana Jones story. It has, you know, the Harrison Ford likeness, even though it's in pixel form. Right. Uh, you know, really good soundtrack by Peter McConnell, who would eventually go on to do the the Grim Fandango soundtrack, which was also terrific. And yeah, I mean, by all accounts, it's it's just a really good Indiana Jones experience. So I think uh, if you, if you're at all curious about that and you're a fan of Indiana Jones, I mean, it's only like six dollars on GOG and uh, and Steam. So definitely go out and play it. It's very easy to play some of these games nowadays. There used to be a time. When playing an MS DOS game on your computer on modern systems was extremely difficult. Nowadays, they're very accessible. So, some of these games, you know, unless they're like really heavily relying on like 3D acceleration and the like, they're very easy to play nowadays. So, definitely, you know, if you're at all curious about them, definitely go out and play them. But all right, I mean, let's uh, let's go real quick, Chris, um, so we can round this out. Let's just start throwing out some games 
talk about them for like a few minutes and then just go around the table for a few more. So I'm gonna sort it off. All right, Top Gear. I think Top Gear is definitely worth mentioning. Um, I can see why they didn't make it in. I I voted it in, but I I don't think that it was gonna make it in. You know, or it was very likely to make it in. But you know really one of the best racing experiences you know we talked about virtual racing but really top gear if you were on console this was the premier racing experience um and that fucking soundtrack man that soundtrack is so rocking so So rocking and i gotta say i mean if you were in brazil like this was the game i don't know why just like the master system this game and genre series just absolutely blew up in brazil and we're seeing games like Horizon Chase Turbo coming out that are made by a Brazilian team and were directly influenced by Top Gear. So Top Gear, you know, just wanted to put it out there. So, Chris, what other game do you want to just mention real quick? Uh, Lethal Enforcers. I mean, if we're going to bring up Night Trap, if that was part of the tournament and caused all that controversy, Lethal Enforcers is usually the one that gets forgotten about next to Night Trap and Mortal Kombat. It's also a light gun game, and I think it's a it'll be really difficult for a light gun game to get in any of these tournaments. Point blank, maybe. Of course, Duck Hunt, but Duck Hunt would obviously get swallowed up by Mario Brothers, so it doesn't really <laughs> matter. Um, but yeah, Lethal Enforcers caused a lot of controversy, was considered one of those super violent games, and I would say it's a better game than Night Trap, and it deserves its due. So I'll give it a little bit of a little mention here at the end of, uh, near the end of this episode, uh, Lethal Enforcers. Yeah, it's not the best light gun game, but it, it definitely was better than a lot of them at that time, and especially in the arcade. And yeah, it was it went in front of Congress. There you go. <laughs> All right. So I will also mention Bucky O'Hare. Um, no way in hell that this game was going to be included. Um, I, I'm not even salty about that. I think that it, it doesn't necessarily merit being in the, in the tournament, but I do think that it's a very interesting game, very obscure game at this point. It's based on a cartoon, uh, franchise. And, uh, the reason why I'm mentioning, I mean, it's, it's a really well-made, uh, platforming action platformer, um, really fun to play very hard, very hard. But the big reason why I'm mentioning it is because, this was the game, this was kind of the last game that the folks that eventually ended up forming Treasure made at Konami. Uh, this was uh, Maegawa's, uh, Masato Maegawa's, you know, baby. And uh, you could see a lot of the Treasure hallmarks in this game. It's a very good-looking game for an NES game. Very late release, which is also a reason why this game is a little bit more expensive nowadays. Um, but really, this was, if you're talking Treasure, you have to mention Bucky O'Hare. I mean, just after this, they went on to do Gunstar Heroes and, and the McDonald's game, um, which also a very good game, by the way. But yeah, Bucky O'Hare, definitely a game that should be mentioned, just, you know, as an honorable mention. So, uh, Chris, what other game? You know, I'm going to I'm gonna mention Air Zonk here. And, you know, another TurboGrafx-16 shmup, another Hukar game. And the reason I'm bringing that one up really, really quick here is because that was the game that, uh, I think, was it TTI? Uh, something Technical Institute or Turbo Technical yeah. Institute or something yeah. like that. They were really pushing Airzonk to be included with the TurboGrafx-16 right at the end of its life, trying to get some remaining, squeeze anything out of it and try to get into homes. And Airzonk was the character that they used and the game they used to try and get into the households. Didn't work. People still didn't care, even though it only cost $100 for your TurboGrafx-16. But uh, it's it's a fun enough game. It definitely probably shouldn't have made the list, but it does need to be mentioned in a, in a year that we didn't even talk about the TurboGrafx-16. Always... Happy to give love to that system. So Airzonk, 
kind of part of the Bonk series, and it's, it's just wild. It, <laughs> definitely part of the Bonk series. Yeah, definitely part. <laughs> uh, but yeah, very inconsistent difficulty. Weird control. Uh, di- strange upgrade system depends on characters that you select. It's a lot of fun, but it's it it yeah it's it's definitely an acquired taste. Yeah, yeah. Also, very short game as well. So yes. it's it's just not a game that had a lot of chance in making it in. But um, yep. all right. I'm gonna switch up. Uh, I'm gonna say Sunset Riders. Um, nice. Sunset Riders, made by Konami, Western theme, beat 'em up if you want to call it that, but more like a beat 'em up with guns. <laughs> so mm-hmm. uh, a, a little bit different. But uh, a lot of people have very fond memories of this game. Um, it was a really really fun time if you were playing with four players. And uh, just, you know, really Konami in its heyday, man. Konami doing what Konami did back in the day, which was just create excellent, technically well-made games um, that really catered to that sense of enjoyment. You know, if if you were particularly a kid back in the day, I mean, this was the Konami seal, you know. This game totally had the Konami seal of, of quality. Um, so Sunset Riders came out both on SNES and the Genesis. They they had a little bit of a difference. They were not exactly one-to-one as tended to be the case back in the day with uh, multi-platform games. But um, absolutely, you know, just a really fun time and a game worth playing nowadays. Don't think it needed to be in the tournament, but I do think that I would have probably picked it over some of the games that did make it in. So, But if that's... But if that's the, uh, the the threshold, then I think a lot of a lot of games, you know, that didn't make it would have made it in. Um, anyways, Chris, final one, uh, and then I'm going to my final one as well. I think I'm going to briefly mention Fatal Fury Two because we do need to get some Neo Geo love in here because no one has ever mentioned the Neo Geo at all this year, and you can't say it's because of the AES it, because the, the MVS was a thing and the arcades were real. And everyone remembers those Neo Geo machines with the the changing game on every single sign. And you're going to tell me that not one person can <laughs> nominate anything from the Neo Geo. So why not talk about the best fighting game to come out that year, which is brought on the heels from Street Fighter 2, learned a lot of the lessons that it didn't quite get right in the original Fatal Fury or Art of Fighting. Fatal Fury 2 really moved the series forward on its way to the King of Fighters. And uh, at some point, we got to get an SNK fighter in this tournament. We have to mention them. And yeah. Fatal Fury 2, yeah, it, it, this was the part where SNK started developing the reputation for being a better, better technical fighter than Capcom Street Fighter, even though Street Fighter had all the flash. I don't think Fatal Fury was quite there over Street Fighter yet, but they had definitely made some leaps forward. SNK was learning a lot. Uh they were they was definitely probably the second best fighting game on the market at this point. They were certainly better than Mortal Kombat. And yeah. every everyone knows the Fatal Fury characters, and this is where it really started taking off. So Fatal Fury 2 coming out in arcades, got it got have to have something from the Neo Geo, and this is probably yeah. the best representation you can get from this year. Well, and, and on top of that, I mean it's not like people associate SNK nowadays with fighting games, but that wasn't the case throughout SNK's history. I mean, really, no. before this, they were really more well-known for games like Ikari Warriors, so on and so forth, um, Athena, maybe. But really, Fatal Fury was where SNK really built itself into a fighting powerhouse. Um, and this was this predated King of Fighters, which is now its like hallmark fighting game series. But really, it was between Fatal Fury and Art of Fighting in terms of you know where SNK really built its name. Um, mm-hmm. So 
yeah, I think this is, that that's a that's a good choice, Chris. All right, I'm gonna round it out with just one final PC game because why the hell not? Um, mm-hmm. Chris mentioned King's Quest Six, so I'm not gonna mention that. Um, Ultima Seven, again, extremely nerdy. Like, who the hell would have was gonna pick Ultima Seven? But from what I hear, not because I know, not because I have first and experience, and that's why it's very hard for me to talk about this game, and that's why I didn't pick it in the games that I was gonna talk about. But Ultima 7, by all accounts, is one of the best, maybe the best Ultima game of all time. And uh, it really kind of cap ends, it's the capstone to the Ultima classic period. And Richard Garriott, who is the, the designer and, and, and you know creator of Ultima, he says that this is one of this is his favorite game. And from all accounts, this was the most well executed game in the in the series. But again, it's an Ultima game. <laughs> like uh, most people were playing Ultima games back in the days, and it's like this is really like your pen and pencil RPG, you know, D and D campaign type experience. This is really, you know, for the nerds, <laughs> not for the players, for the nerds. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and uh, I love it. I'm a nerd myself, but I unfortunately wasn't around back in the day, and maybe. This was a game I would have played if I had the time, if I had the age, if I had all these things that I just didn't have at the time. But um, yeah, Ultima 7, just wanted to give a brief shout out. One of the best games of all time from what I hear. But yeah, definitely not playing it now in this day and age. Wraps it up. Yeah, I think that wraps it up. Chris, um, it's been a fun ride, man. It's been it a, definitely has. It's been a multi-month process. I think uh, we first started talking about this back in june or july something along those lines it was late it was may. definitely yeah late may it was definitely a while ago um but you know by the time this episode comes out i i think this is going to come out before uh the final episode um and um yeah man i mean i just want to say it's been a ride man it's been a it's been a fun time and uh i'm glad that i was able to be part of it i'm glad that i was able to help out with uh with the hosting and um yeah in particular i'm glad that i was uh, involved in this honorable mentions episode because you know you and I know that I am a snob when it comes to games <laughs> and uh, I, I think if that hasn't come through in this episode I don't think it ever will um, but yes I, I am a snob and I I look down condescendingly upon those that don't you know measure games objectively as I do uh, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah I, I this is out of all the episodes, the one that I like doing the most because I get to talk about all the obscure shit or all the games that just didn't have that audience and just weren't, you know, the Nintendo cute and cuddly platform mascot games. Um, so, yeah, man, thank you. Thank you for, for having me on. And uh, thank you for having me on the King of Games. Um, I don't have much to plug, so, you know, I'm not going to say much about myself. You can find me on the Discord for Retro Hangover. I'm still there. I still have a crippling video game collecting addiction. Addiction. So, um, please send help. And yeah, I'm a, and I'm now running uh, the Retro Hangover Review Crew, which is our kind of game of the month club, in which we select a game based on a democratic process uh, to play for the month. And then at the end of the, the the month, you know, we round up all the reviews and uh, we give our little blurb and. Um, we just kind of chat, you know, around the fireside about the game that we have selected. So, um, yeah, if you're interested in that, join the, the Discord. Uh, there's no entry fee for joining the Discord. So anyone is free to join. So this is not Patreon gated. So definitely make it in and uh, we'll get to talk there, man. So, um, Chris, uh, why don't you uh, why don't you round us out? Why don't you uh, send us away? 
Yeah, sure. So if you're listening to this, and first and foremost, thank you, Ozzy, for everything you've been doing throughout the King of Games. I know that you're all going to hear me say this again in the final episode, but Ozzy's been fantastic for this in, this entire series. He's been doing a lot of the editing. Of course, you've heard him host, but uh, he's he's been doing the work, and I, I couldn't thank him enough. He's definitely been critical to making sure this happens from the from the cradle to the grave. So thank you so much, Ozzy. It's been been extremely important to have you part of this. I don't think it's it could been have my pleasure, man. Nearly as as fluidly without you being part of it. Thank you. So, thank you. It's been my pleasure. So uh, if you're listening to this on Patreon, if you're listening to this early, thank you. Uh, thank you for your patronage. You are the best and greatest patrons in the world. I am contractu- contractually obliged to say that. But uh, seriously, you are all amazing, and thank you so much. But if you're listening to this in the open, if you're listening to this for free uh, and not listening to it early, you could have if you went to our link tree, which is linktr.e slash retrohangover. And for as little as a dollar a month, you could have access to that. There's also other tiers. So if you're interested in that, go check it out and you can support us there. Uh, we also have a Twitch channel, which is twitch.tv slash retro hangover. And we try to stream every Sunday. We try to stream something fun. Sometimes it's not, but we always have great discussions. So head on over there if uh, and sub- subscribe, follow or whatever it is. We're not even an affiliate. So like we're not making money off you over there. So just stop by, say <laughs> hi, and we can have a good time. And uh I think that's really it. Uh, thank you, everybody, for being part of the listening to the King of Games 1992. I hope we covered some of the games that you are probably screaming at us about this entire time and wondering where that game was or why it wasn't there like I did with Region Free Gamers in 98 when I was like, where's this game? So now you're doing that to us, and hopefully we address that game. And uh, those bases are covered. And I think that's where we're going to leave this at. So yeah, anything else you, you got to say, Ozzy? No, nothing else. I'm sorry that we didn't talk about, you know, magical mystery Mickey's uh, whatever. Um, I'm sorry. Get over it. There, yeah. there are there are always games that we're not going to talk about, but uh, know that uh, we care and uh, we try to bring the games to you. And uh, um, if there's anything that you've gained from this, is that we hope that you're going to expand your horizons. So definitely, that's all I have to say. But uh, thank you, Chris. Send us over. All right, so until next time, play with your fuck you, we're not talking about Echo the Dolphin joysticks.